Hello and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Pastor Tom Goodman continues his sermon series called Getting Along with Part 6, a sermon titled Sharpen Your Communication Skills. Now, an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. Well, this is week number six in our study called Getting Along. Um, We're looking at eight biblical solutions to conflict, and uh, we are today going to look at um, how conflict arises and how conflict continues because of poor listening skills and poor communication skills. And one of the worst examples of this that we can see in the Bible is found in Joshua chapter 22 in the Old Testament. I told you six weeks ago when I began this series, it actually was birthed out of a personal daily devotional time that I was doing really just for myself. I, I, the Bible's filled with stories. Most of those stories are about people and most of those stories are about people who get into conflict with each other. And so I got curious about whether there were some principles that I could learn and as a teacher pass on to other people. And so I started with page one and uh, in the Bible and anytime I got to a story about people in conflict, I just I just parked there and I camped out there for my morning devotional and I asked that passage some questions. I asked, what created this conflict? And what were the consequences of this conflict? And if the conflict got resolved, how did it get resolved? And that was just a really enriching time for me, but as for all of us who teach the Bible, those personal devotional times over time became Bible lessons. And so this series that we're in right now called Getting Along started about a decade ago when I was first going through uh, just to see what the Bible had to say about conflict. And if, if you do that yourself, if you're just starting on page one in the Bible and you're just going to uh, wherever there's references to and stories about conflict, one of the earliest, one of the first stories that you're going to get to very soon is here in Joshua chapter 22. Now in chapter 22 of Joshua, it records a time right after the conquest of the promised land And the tribes of Reuben and Gad and half of Manasseh have been promised land east of the Jordan River. But Joshua asks them to combine together with the Western forces until all of the land is pacified, until all the land is is taken over. And then when that happens, Joshua sends with his blessing these uh, these tribes, Reuben and and, uh, Gad and half of Manasseh, over to the eastern side of the Jordan River so they can start establishing their tribes and their homes there. And he says, you can go home. Thank you for your help. And and they do that. And one of the first things, according to Joshua 22, one of the first things they do is build what verse 10 calls an imposing altar. Now look at verses 11 and 12 and notice how the Western tribes reacted. When the Israelites heard that they had built the altar on the border of Canaan, at Galilath, near the Jordan on the Israelite side, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. So the Western tribes, they organized this delegation of 11 men, a priest named Phineas and, and one delegate from each of the Western tribes. And they go to the Eastern tribes and look at verse 16. They say, how could you break faith like this? How could you turn away from the Lord and build yourselves an altar in rebellion against him now? And they, and they go on in this long formalized speech to compare what the Eastern tribes had done 
to the sin of Peor and the unfaithfulness of Achan. Now these are stories from earlier in Judges and also in the book of Numbers where there were individual people in the nation of Israel or small groups of people in the nation of Israel who, who did some wrong, they did some sin, and the entire nation did not respond quickly enough to excise that cancer out of the body, and so the entire body suffered. The entire body fell under the judgment of God. And so the Western tribes thought they were under that kind of risk again. They saw their Eastern uh, tribal neighbors building this imposing altar, and they thought they were in the process of committing apostasy. There was only one place where sacrifices were legitimately allowed to be lifted up, and that was at the altar in the, temp in the tabernacle. That tabernacle happened to be on the western side of the Jordan. And so the western tribes, they see this, this imposing altar being built on the eastern side of the river, and they immediately assume that their eastern neighbors are engaged in some sort of sin, a sin that's going to bring the judgment of God down on all of them, and they assemble to go to war. Now, in verse 22, Im immediately the eastern tribes they respond to this delegation that's come over. This, this delegation has come over. They've given this big formal speech of reprimand. The Western tribes are all aligned behind them, ready to go to war. And what do the Eastern tribes say? Look at verse 22. The mighty one, God, the Lord, he knows and let Israel know. And they go on to say, this is not true. We built a replica of the altar. We weren't building something to offer sacrifices to. We built something to remind our people that we are allied with you. But the, the, the tabernacle is on the western side of the river. And so we were building something to commemorate and remind our people that we are all part of the same people of God, of Israel. And then in verse 33, notice this. The western tribes lower their swords and they look at each other and they look at the eastern tribes and say, oh, never mind. <laughs> Actually, they say they were glad to hear this report and they praise God and they talk no more about going to war. Now, here's a classic case of a conflict that arose from poor communication. The bridges between these people, so to speak, had collapsed. They had broken down and it led them right to the brink of civil war. So who was at fault, the Western tribes or the Eastern tribes? They both were. I mean, the Western tribes jumped to conclusions. You, now, they sent a delegation, but this delegation didn't go for, in, to, to investigate. This delegation didn't go to ask questions and to listen and inquire. They just went to accuse. They, as far as they were concerned, already knew what was going on, and they were taking action. On the other hand, the eastern tribes just assumed that their neighbors would know why they were building this imposing altar, and they didn't communicate with the western tribes at all about it. And the sad truth is, this story is played out over and over again in our marriages, in our workplaces, in school, in our sports clubs, at church, anywhere where people come together, conflict can, can often arise and stay uh, unmanaged because of unsubstantiated assumptions. So what do we need to do to overcome this problem? We need hearing aids and we need megaphones. Hearing aids and megaphones. The Western tribes could have used some hearing aids. The Eastern tribes could have used some megaphones. So let's talk first about hearing aids. The Western tribes could have used some of this. Did you notice, like I said, that the Western tribes, they sent this delegation, but not for listening, not for investigation, for accusation. Because as far as they were concerned, they already knew what was going on. 
and all they needed to do was simply take action. And that's so typical. We see something going on at work and we immediately assume the worst and we're at odds with each other. Or we hear something about some new plan at church and we immediately assume the worst and we assemble our forces by email or assemble people out in the halls of the parking lot and we're in civil war, right? We haven't checked it out, we haven't explored it, we haven't investigated it, but we're like the Western tribes, we assemble for war. James chapter one, verse 19, this is in your notes. It says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Notice there are three things that we're supposed to do there. Quick to listen, number one. Number two is slow to speak. And then number three is slow to become angry. Guess what? I have found it's a lot easier to do the third action if I'm already doing the first two actions. If I'm, slow to, if I'm quick to listen and slow to speak, I'm most definitely going to be slow to become angry. So how can we be better at being quick to listen? How can we put on some better hearing aids? I remember a stand-up comic one time who said, last night my girlfriend broke up with me. She said it was because I didn't listen to her. I think that's what she said, I'm not sure. <laughs> now how can, we come, how can we become better listeners? We need five hearing aids. Let's write these down on our notes. First of all, waiting. By the way, most of these points come from Ken Sand's book, The Peacemaker. I've mentioned it to you before in this series, a really useful book for you to get hold of. Hearing aid number one, is waiting, waiting. We need to learn to wait patiently while others are speaking. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 28 says, the godly think before speaking, the wicked spout evil words. So there are several ways that we can improve our waiting ability as we listen to people speak. One is try not to jump to premature conclusions about what they are saying, you're, they're speaking and you're already just drawing conclusions. You already know where this is going or so you think. Slow down and try not to jump to those premature conclusions. Discipline yourself not to interrupt people in the midst of what they're saying. You know, when you are frustrated or angry about something, you've probably been thinking about it for a while. And so therefore you're really clear with your words, but you've sprung this, you've, you're confronting somebody, you've sprung this on them and so they may be groping for words, trying to figure out how to say their side of the story. So discipline yourself not to interrupt them. Learn to be comfortable with silence. Don't respond the moment there's a pause. That gives somebody the impression, by the way, that you weren't listening. You were just waiting for them to take a breath so you could give your impression of the story. Don't do that. And then don't offer immediate solutions uh, anytime somebody brings a problem to you. Some of us are fixers. And I don't mean that this is, you know, gender differentiated between males or females, but, but some of us are fixers. And so when somebody starts talking about a problem, instead of just taking time to listen and letting them unburden, unburden themselves, sometimes we just jump in to start fixing it right away. Maybe if we're going to be slow to speak, we need to not do that so quickly and easily all the time. Hearing aid number two, attending. You know, the challenge for those of us who are public speakers like me, those who are school teachers like many of you, the challenge is, and this has been proven by science, is that the, the, the mind thinks four times faster than the mouth can speak. And, and so if you're a school teacher and you're trying to convey a lesson, you've got a bunch of students out in front of you whose mind has already wandered off real quickly because they're thinking four times faster than you're able to speak. 
And that's true when it comes to, to being a public speaker or a pastor as well. Now, if, if you're in one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody with whom you are in conflict and they are speaking, you, you just got to be mindful of the fact that your mind can wander so easily because your mind is thinking four times faster than that person is speaking. And so there are several ways that you can show that you're paying attention when other people are speaking. One is to maintain regular eye contact with the person who is speaking. Another is to avoid negative body language, such as folding your arms, which kind of indicates that you're closed off to what they have to say. Tapping your foot, which means you're sort of impatient and dismissive of what they have to say. Uh, looking around, these, these, are, these, are, these are body language things that signal to somebody else that you're not really paying attention or not terribly interested in what they have to say. One of the things you can do to uh, communicate to people that you're listening to them is to eliminate distractions as much as possible. Turn off the television set, mute your phone, turn it face down so the screen is down, close the door so that there's not so much noise around you. Make sure you're positioned in such a way that you're looking at the person and not always going to be looking elsewhere when you're easily distracted. Leaning forward slightly usually shows interest and warm and responsive facial instructions, uh, 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 expressions do as well. Nod your head occasionally, indicating to the person that you are engaged in what they have to say. All of these things will encourage them to continue talking. And isn't that the point? To hear them, to understand them, to get their perspective. So that's hearing aid number two. Hearing aid number three, clarifying. Clarifying is the process of making sure that you understand what the other person is trying to say. And this usually involves asking questions or making statements, things like, now, are you saying this? Or tell me more about this? Or can you give me an example? So somebody accuses you of being insensitive at work and you say, can you give me an example? And, and you're really asking, you're not being defensive. You know, you're not like arguing against them. You, you're just wanting to understand their perspective a little bit more, ask for an example. I'm confused about this. Let me see if I understand this. So words like this show that you're hearing them. You're thinking about what's being said. And these responses show that you are interested in getting more information from them so that you can understand them better. And that moves us in relation to hearing aid number four. Hearing aid number four is reflecting. Reflecting is just paraphrasing back in your own words what you think you're hearing that person say. Now, understand, this does not mean that you are necessarily agreeing with them at any point or at all points, but what you want to do is to be able to echo back to them what you think that they are saying, so that when you echo it back to them and they say, no, that's not what I mean at all, well, well you can continue the conversation, continue to ask questions. You're not really ready to respond to them until you can paraphrase back to them their perspective in such a way that they go, I couldn't have said it better myself. And that, really, we are not trained to do that these days. We're not trained to do that in our culture. Where do we go for most of our entertainment, for most of our news? People who are shouting at each other. People who are making caricatures of the other side. People who are making these shallow accusations against what the other side is saying, right? We are being discipled by them all the time. That's our form of news slash entertainment. And, and because of that, then we're not trained in this type of listening where we try to paraphrase back to somebody the way they understand something until they say, yeah, I couldn't have said that better myself. You summed it up really well. Now, again, you're not agreeing at this point. You're just communicating to them 
uh, in such a way that they know that you really understood them. Here's hearing aid number five, agreeing. Now this doesn't mean agreeing at every point. And you might have your mind changed. You might agree with everything that they have to say at that point. They may give you a revelation that you never knew before. But the reality is that if somebody is issuing a complaint, there might be something there that you can agree with, even if you need to go on and talk about those things with which you disagree. And so acknowledge that. You know, you're right. I was wrong when I said such and such. You know, a lot of what you said is, is true, and I need to work on that. Phrases like this, they're not patronizing. They're ways of honestly indicating that you heard something in there that you uh, agree with. Now, th this isn't easy. Uh, you know, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 31 says, listen to good advice if you want to live well. And sometimes that advice comes from the most unexpected places. That advice doesn't come from somebody who's fond of us and thinks that we do everything right. Sometimes that advice comes carefully couched in criticism. <laughs> and, and, and if we can echo back to them some complaint that they've issued and we can indicate to them that we have, we have caught something in that that we agree with and we intend to fix or change, that's gonna take us a long way down toward getting along. So these are some hearing aids that will help us in our relationships with others, waiting, attending, clarifying, reflecting, and agreeing. We need to let the story of Joshua chapter 22 convict us. The Western tribes didn't do any of this, and they were on the brink of civil war because they assumed that they knew what the Eastern tribes were doing, and all they had to do was go and fix what the Eastern tribes were doing wrong. And if they had just taken some time to investigate, none of this in Joshua chapter 22 would have happened. But the Eastern tribes have a share in the blame too. They proceeded to build this huge altar. Verse 10 called it not just an altar, but an imposing altar. And it just didn't occur to them to explain to the Western tribes what they were doing. Now, this is just insensitive. It, it's boneheaded on the part of the Eastern tribes. I mean, think about it. They built this huge replica of the tabernacle's altar and we discover later on in the story that they did that with the best of intentions to remind their people that they're part of larger Israel and that uh, there is a, an altar where sacrifices are made and to remind people that they're connected to that. That was their intention. But we find that out later on in the story. I mean, what happens on an altar? Sacrifice happens on an altar. Worship happens around an altar. Why did it not occur to them that they would build this replica of an altar and, and, and not think that there would be some people who assumed that they were going to start breaking God's law and lifting up sacrifices on that altar? And, and so the Western tribes needed hearing aids, but the Eastern tribes needed megaphones. And so we need to learn how to listen to each other better, but we also need to learn how to speak better, how to communicate better uh, our intentions. I put this in your sermon notes because it's so important. Ken Sand says, it is not good enough to communicate so that you can be understood. You should communicate so clearly that you cannot be misunderstood. Do you notice that? A lot of us, if we even have this as a goal, we try to communicate with the intention of being misunderstood. Ken Sand said, that doesn't go far enough. We need to communicate in such a way that there's no way that we could be possibly misunderstood. Now, do we work that hard on communicating to other people? If the Eastern tribes had done that, 
Had, would the incident in Joshua 22 had happened at all? No. And, and, and we, we do that as well. We don't do a good job trying to be understood, but we don't even try to do a good job of communicating in such a way that we can't possibly be misunderstood. Now, this is especially true if you're a leader. I work on this skill all the time, and, and still I have those points where no matter how often I communicate, no matter how early I communicate, no matter how carefully I communicate, I have somebody who misunderstands me, and that's when I'm at my best as a communicator. So imagine when I'm not doing all of those steps carefully. We need to make sure that we are paying attention to these things. So what are some megaphones that we can use to help people understand us? Megaphone number one, time. Time. Consciously build times for communication into your schedule. Think about the right time. Think about the right place to talk with people about what you need to talk with them about. You know, one of the absolute most common times that married couples talk with each other about a problem is also the worst time to talk with each other about a problem, and that's 10 minutes before each of you go to work. Now, somebody raises the issue because he or she is frustrated with it, it bothers him or her now, and so they raise it, but then all those emotions flare up, all those frustrations flare up, you don't have enough time to unpack everything and have everybody understand something, and now you're out the door and you're mad at each other for the rest of the day. And maybe you're not talking with each other when you come home at night. How about 10 minutes before you leave, schedule some time that you're gonna talk about something. Even mark it down on your calendar so that you know it's 7 p.m. this night, we're gonna turn off the TV, we're gonna turn off our phones or mute them, and we're gonna have a conversation about this. You know, this issue of time, this megaphone of, of time, this is something that we get in trouble with sometimes as a church as well. Like I've told you a couple of times already in this series, we're not doing this series because there's any controversy that's going on behind the scenes in the church. And this series really isn't just about our relationships as a church, it's about wherever people get together and families at school and sports teams and at work, all of that kind of thing. But let me just use as an example, you know, the area that I know, my wheelhouse is church. And there are a lot of times, especially when I was younger in, in ministry, it still happens sometimes now. And a lot of times it happens with other leaders within the church where, you know, let's say we're in the deacon group or we're in a committee or we're together as a staff and we're trying, we identify something that needs to be dealt with in the church, something that needs to be fixed. And so we're getting ready to do this new program, make this new change and it gets raised in committee meeting and somebody disagrees and so we talk about it and hash it out and we pray some and then talk about it some more and pray some more and somewhere along the way that group of us we we've come to an agreement about what needs to happen and we're excited about it and we're convicted that God is leading us in this direction and we present it to the church and we want to get started next week and what happens people react negatively to it and we're stunned and we're offended and it's entirely our fault because we didn't allow the rest of the church to go through that process, that time that we ourselves took. We weighed out things, we looked at various options, we discussed things, we worked through disagreements, we prayed about things as a small group. Now we need to allow the rest of the church that amount of time to go through that same process that they are only now first hearing about. You see? So we need to make sure one, one, one way we put a megaphone to our mouth is just simply to give each, each person enough time to think through what they uh, need to hear. Megaphone number two, repetition. 
repetition. Communicate in multiple ways. Again, just as an example, since church work is my wheelhouse, I'll say that sometimes somebody will say to me, nobody came to my event. And I'll say, well, because you only started announcing it last week. And you know, four days later, you know, you've got to communicate more often than that. You've got to communicate at least six weeks early. People are just inundated, bombarded with information today. And so you need to get it out at least six weeks early so that at least two or three times across those six weeks, people are going to see that information. You've been planning for it for a long time. It's been on your calendar. You've gotten yourself excited about it. You know why people ought to be there. Nobody else knows that information. And so you need to communicate to them when it's happening, when the deadline is, why they need to be a part of it, and they need to hear it over and over and over again in order to want to participate with you in that particular, uh, in that particular thing. And, and, and not just one area, like the newsletter. You know, just getting it in the newsletter, that's important. But for communication in church, we need to communicate it in other ways. How about uh, on the, the, the on-screen announcements? How about going around to the different life groups and talking with them a bit? You know, this is the last week to sign up for something. Uh, how about we post it on social media or ask somebody who has, who's an administrator for our church's social media to post it in that way? And the important thing is, don't just pay attention to the way that you receive information. Your way of receiving information may be the bulletin. I'm using church as an example here. But the important thing isn't you. The important thing is how somebody else receives information. Maybe they receive information through social media. Maybe they receive information through a direct email or, or email to their group. Some years ago, I, I read about how this day and age that we are now deeply into is a time where there is no greater time for a great variety of ways of communicating and no greater time for people not to listen to what each other's saying. And one of the reasons is we have to figure out now where, where do people get their information? Do they prefer to be communicated with by you know, the, the email Hillcrest Happenings? Do they prefer to gain communication by, by text? Uh, you know, my sons, they're in their early 30s. If I try to leave a voicemail, they'll never hear that. I have to send a text message to them. Some of you, you've tried to communicate with me through Facebook Messenger. Good luck, you know. <laughs> I, I may respond to you four weeks later. I just don't always check Facebook Messenger. How are the people you're trying to communicate with, how are they getting information? You need to make sure you're communicating uh, in that way. Repetition. Megaphone number three, preparation. Think carefully about your words. If you're getting ready to sit down with your marriage partner, if you're getting ready to sit down with a coworker at work and communicate something that's potentially emotional, potentially confrontational, you need to think through how you're going to say it, what words you're going to be use, what words you're going to use, how you can say things in such a way that you will not be misunderstood. It's here that we need to know the difference between getting something off our chest and getting something into someone's heart. Some of us, we think that we have communicated because we just got something off our chest. We unloaded. And we got all those emotions out, but we didn't get a thing into somebody else's heart. In fact, their heart is more closed to us than ever before. And we just get this emotional release from getting something off our chest, but it's not communication. Communication is preparing yourself in such a way that you can speak in a way that they need to hear. 
Megaphone number four, feedback, feedback. After you've shared what you feel you need to share, ask for feedback. It's clear to you, but how will you know it's clear to them until you listen to what they have to say? And so ask some questions. I, you know, I'm not sure I've said this clearly. Would you mind telling me what you think you heard me say? Have I confused you? You know, what, what, what are you thinking about this? What have I said that you would agree with? What have I said that you would disagree with? These types of questions are a way of inviting them to hear or, or to speak to you about what they think that you were saying to them. Megaphone number four. Megaphone number five, face-to-face. Face-to-face. Talk in person.